I mean, welcome you to the second installment in our series on prayer. A lot of us talk about prayer, but we're not that good at it. Most of us aren't. And we'd like to devote the Sundays in June to this and, and talk about, hey, how do we pray? And so today we're going to be talking about the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father Prayer, depending on, those are the first two words of it, depending on where you grew up. And so inside your bulletin, you'll find an outline entitled The Lord's Prayer. That's the name of my message today. It's from Matthew 6, and Jesus gives some clear instructions on how to pray. If you need a pen to fill in the blanks, just raise your hand, and some ushers will be coming up and down the aisles to uh, toss one to you. But the idea is that God wants us to pray. And um, again, one of the things that we want to do all the time with mission trips is get people out where um, prayer is not just a good idea, it's a necessity. It's really a necessity for us every day. And I'd like to pray for us before we begin in this discussion today on the Lord's Prayer that God would show us the validity of that statement. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I just thank you. Uh, before we can talk about prayer, I just want us to pray. Lord, when we're outside the country or in a new situation or we've moved to a new city, uh, we feel pretty vulnerable at times, and we don't, uh, we don't exactly know what to do, and so prayer seems like a good idea. But then oftentimes we get our circumstances right and get things under control, or we feel like we do, then all of a sudden our prayer drops off. And today I, I pray that you remind us of what prayer is all about and how we're supposed to pray every day. So, Lord, I pray that you'll speak this morning, move me out of the way, and teach us some things we need to know about the prayer you that you taught your disciples. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Well, point one on your outline is simply this. God wants us to pray. God wants us to pray. Off in the margin or up above there, you can write the word relationship. God wants a relationship with us, and so he wants us to talk to him, and he wants us to listen to him. It's what Christians call prayer. When we talk to God and listen to God and carry on business with him. And we talk to him about our day. We talk to him about our priorities. We talk to him about our fears, our concerns. The Apostle Paul kind of gives you a hint at how, this is, how God wants it to work in Philippians 4. Don't worry about anything, Paul wrote. <clears throat> Instead, pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. God wants us to have peace. He wants us to have joy. He wants us to have a sense of purpose and direction in our lives. And that comes when we pray. If we don't pray, then we tend to just fret about things and worry. And so many times here you're going to hear this expression. I'll say it again right now. If you're going to worry, then don't pray. If you're going to pray, then don't worry. If you're going to worry, don't pray. If you're going to pray, then don't worry. Would you tell that to a person next to you, please? If you're going to worry, don't pray. If you're going to pray, then don't worry. And some of you are going, man, that was timely. I'm glad you said to say that. Okay. Well, it's a timely reminder for all of us because we do have a choice, you know. We can go through life and try to figure things out on our own, or we can call upon our Heavenly Father and say, God, would you please show me what to do? There are a lot of situations I don't know how to handle. God does, and he wants us to call upon him. All of us all the time. Now, Jesus' disciples noticed that Jesus had some kind of special relationship going on with God. And when he talked to God, it wasn't like anything they'd ever seen. In fact, in Luke's gospel, when Jesus was praying one time after he finished, the disciples came to him and said, hey, would you teach us to pray like that? And Jesus said, sure. In Matthew's account, we get the full list of what he told us what he, uh, of a model prayer that he gave them. And uh, that's point two on your outline. Jesus gave a model prayer for his disciples to follow. We're his disciples. We're the current generation of disciples. And this is a model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, or the Our Father Prayer. 
is a model prayer for us to follow. Now, it's not something to be said as a good luck charm or repeated over, repeated over and over again. This is, it's found in Matthew 6, 9. If you look at Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8, right before the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, hey, but don't babble like pagans do, saying things mindlessly over and over again, thinking that God will hear them just because of the repetition of many words. What's ironic is, is then he gave them a sample prayer, and now in some circles, that becomes a thing that people babble over and over again mindlessly. And if we turn it into that, then we've turned it into something Jesus never wanted. I had a friend of mine on a basketball team I played with, and before every game, I mean, this guy didn't go to church hardly ever, I don't know, but he'd always make us hold hands and say, we need to say the Lord's Prayer. Why? Because it'll bring us good luck. I mean, he really believed it. If you just say the words again and again, then that's what it's all about. No, it's not. This is a model prayer. It's a template. If that expression means more to you, if that term means more to you, then write that down. But it's a template for us to follow. A sample prayer that if we do these things, it'll help us keep a balanced conversation. For many of us, the only time we call on God is if we're in turbulence on an airplane. Man, we can pray. Once the plane lands, we're good. Well, what if I'm going to have a balanced relationship and balanced conversation? Well, then... It would help to know what kind of things to say. Lord, would you teach us to pray? Because when you talk to God, it's like he's really listening. And you talk to him like it's a real conversation, like he's a real person, and he's right there. Yeah, I'll teach you how to pray. Pray this way. And the prayer that he gave them, the model prayer he gave them, is printed in your outline, and I'd like for you to read it along with me out loud. So this is from Matthew 6, 9. And I'll say, uh, pray then in this way, and let's start where it says, Our Father. Can we all read that together, please? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And that's the Lord's Prayer. It's a marvelous prayer, and I'd like to break it down for us by sentences or phrases into these different petitions that God tells, that Jesus tells his disciples, hey, this is the way you talk to God when you want your prayers to get heard. It's balanced. And it's something that will keep you from just concentrating on one idea or only praying about the things you need. You need to pray about that, but you need to pray about some other things too. First of all, Jesus told his disciples through the way he did this, it was important how they addressed God. So this is point A on your outline. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And here's the life application. God wants us to address him as Father, but never forget that he is God Almighty. God wants us, wants us to address him as Father, but never forget that he is God Almighty. And so when Jesus was teaching his disciples, hey, if you want to pray the way I pray, and you want God to hear your prayers, and you want to have the same kind of interaction, then understand this. God is our father. He's your father. He gave you life. And he wants you to talk to him that way. When Paul was writing to the Galatians about this in Galatians 4, he said this, because we are God's children, and when you come to Christ, we're adopted into his family, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. That's Hebrew, the Abba word, which would, if you put it together with father, would be similar to dad or dear dad. 
And Jesus was telling his disciples, when you want to pray to God, talk to him as your dear father. Like I have sons, and a couple of them with are, are even with us at this service here, but I love for them to call me dad. I don't want them to call me buddy or sport or pal. That's not okay. I love them very much, and I'm very proud of them. And I want to do everything I can to help them succeed as much as possible. My dad helped me, helped push me as high as he felt like he could take, it, take me with my education and opportunities and other things, and I want to do the same thing for them, and I hope they'll do the same for my grandchildren. But I also want them to never forget that I am their father. Because it matters a lot in our conversation. It wasn't that um, long ago when all three of my sons were at home and they were small and we insisted, that, and we still do, is when they're around me and my wife as mom and dad, when they address us, they can call us mom and dad or pronouns, sir and ma'am. We want them to learn respect. It's important to us. And we had some, another family over for dinner one time and during the course of the meal, a controversial topic came up for that family, and a teenage girl in the family told her father that uh, she didn't respect his opinion and he needed to shut up. Well, everybody on our side of the table froze, okay? <laughs> and later on, we had a family devotional and that night, and we talked about, hey, we don't talk that way in our house. And I said, boys, what happens if we would ever say that? And they would go, bad things, okay? Bad things would happen. Yes, they would. I love my children. I want to give them every opportunity. But I'm their father. It's a part of good parenting, and it's certainly true for our relationship with God. He wants us to come to him. He has opened the doors of heaven wide open and told us to come to him boldly, confessing our sins and accepting forgiveness through Jesus Christ, claiming Christ's blood upon us. But we must never forget that he is God Almighty. The prophet Isaiah had a glimpse of heaven. He saw God seated on his throne. This is in Isaiah 6. And here, and Isaiah wrote down what he saw. He said, I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, attending him were mighty seraphim, mighty angels. And they were calling out to each other as they surrounded the throne and they flew. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. Holy means set apart. There's none like you. It's said three times because you can't get the meaning in one repetition. Holy, holy, holy. There's none like you, Lord. You're the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with your glory. And God never wants us to forget that. He is personal. He is available. He is our Father. But His name is to be hallowed and set apart because He is Lord God Almighty. Lord, teach us to pray. Okay. Well, first of all, remember, address God as your Father because He loves you very much and He's the one who gave you life. But hallow His name and never forget He's God Almighty when you speak to Him. And that leads to the second line of the prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's important to note that when Jesus prayed for God's kingdom to come, the kingdom of God refers to the reign 
and rule of God. His kingdom extends wherever his reign and his rule extends. When I surrender my heart to Jesus and he comes into my heart, then my heart becomes a little outpost of heaven because the reign and rule of God is now there. Similarly with my wife. And then when we establish a home together, our home, our little house, becomes an embassy of heaven in a dark and fallen world. And your home does too. And Jesus said, if you want to know my heart, if you want to know what I pray about when I pray to God, Jesus didn't just pray for needs. He did pray for that. But his overarching concern was, Lord, I want the whole world to recognize you for who you are. I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the life application for you and me is simply this. We must pray that God's kingdom will come and his will will be done in our culture. I mean, some of us shake our heads and watch the news, pick up the paper, get online. My goodness, some decadent lifestyle or some actor or athlete or famous person is now involved in some horrible sinful act and there's just a decline of morals and decline of righteousness and we can shake our heads and go, oh, it's all lost. Or people even can get into kind of the doomsday prepper mode where, hey, the end of the world's coming so we better store up as many cans of green beans as we can or something. And we forget all about Jesus' priorities, and his priorities were that, God, I want your kingdom to come. I want your reign and rule to extend over every heart in the world. When Paul discipled Timothy, he said, Timothy, this is what you need to be praying for. He wrote him in 1 Timothy 2, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all are in authority so we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior when we pray that way, who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. Do you and I pray that way, that God's kingdom will come? Do we pray for our leaders to make just laws so that we can carry the gospel everywhere, that we would live in peace and tranquility so that we might be able to tell people about Jesus? Or do we only pray for political leaders who are going to help our bottom line and help our 401k grow? I mean, what do we pray for for our leaders? What's our overarching concern? Paul told Timothy, hey, Timothy, pray that these people will govern well, that they'll lead well so there can be peace and tranquility, and then you can go out and tell people about Jesus. Because that's why you're here. You're an outpost of heaven. Your home is. You're an ambassador for Christ. And if you haven't thought of yourself as an ambassador, you are. And so am I. And as ambassadors, we need to pray that the economy will be strong enough, that we can go, that there's freedom enough, that we can pray and teach. And that needs to be our primary concern. Primary And so let me challenge all of us this morning. When's the last time you prayed for a spiritual awakening in our culture? That every heart would be yielded and that we could come to Christ. This is terribly important. And that brings us to another life application. Not only must we pray that there will be a spiritual awakening in our culture, we also need to pray that God's kingdom will come and his will will be done in our lives as individuals. 
Oh, God, I pray that your kingdom will come and your will be done in my life. Is that a desire of your heart? Is it a desire of mine? It matters. Once heard a pastor say, if you're praying for a spiritual awakening in the culture, and walk outside, grab a stick, draw a circle in the dirt, step inside the circle, and pray for revival for every person inside the circle. Revival starts with me. God, I want you to reach our culture. I want every heart to be yielded. I want you to reign and rule in the hearts of people in Montgomery and in Prattville and every other part, place around here. And God would say, well, good, let's start with you. I mean, if I look in a mirror, does God have reign, free reign of my life? Does he rule the decisions that I make? Or do I kind of compartmentalize it and say, well, God, you can have this much, but not that. Jesus not only talked a good game, he lived it. The night before he was crucified, he knew he was going to face torment. He knew he was going to face ridicule. He knew that the sins of the whole world would be placed upon him. He never sinned, but he died for all of us who are sinners. And he took all that weight upon himself. And he knew it would be unbelievably painful and horrible to die this terrible death on a cross. And so he cried out to his father. This is from Mark 14. Abba, Father, there it is again, Dad. He cried out, everything's possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And if you'd underline that, that's key. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Are you and I willing to pray that way? Your kingdom come, your will be done, Lord. Lord, I'd love to have this promotion. Lord, I'd love to have this opportunity. Lord, I'd love to be in this relationship But Lord, I want your will to be done, not mine. Can you and I yield? Will we yield? And Jesus said, if you want to know how to pray, that's how you pray. Pray this way. So when you're going to pray, cry out to your Father. He's personal and he loves you. Never forget that he is the Lord of heaven's armies His glory fills the whole earth. And that needs to be our desire that that would happen, that every heart would yield and begin with us. And then Jesus went on to say, and he said, then pray this. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. The life application for you and me is this. We must ask God to provide for our needs and acknowledge our dependence upon him. We do need to pray for our needs. We need to. Sometimes, though, that's where we stop. Lord, I need this, I need this, I need this. That about covers it. Jesus said to pray for our daily bread. Yeah, but there's more to it than that. If you want to know the spirit behind it, it's found in a prayer found in Proverbs 30. I'm going to read this. Unfortunately, the way it printed in your bulletin, it kind of bled over to the second page. So as I read, you'll have to flip the page. But Proverbs 30, starting in verse 8 and going through verse 9, says this. Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Man, that's a different way to pray. Lord, give me my daily bread. I mean, a lot of us go, Lord, help me win the lottery. Lord, help me win the lottery. Help me win the lottery. I don't want daily bread. I want a lot of bread. 
I want more bread than I can possibly imagine. And Lord, you give me all that, I might even give you some of it. And the Lord says, no, I, I really want a relationship with you. And at the top of this page also, can you write the word relationship? God doesn't want to just give us stuff and then leave us go or let us go. I mean, I want to bless my children with things and I want to help them wherever I can. But it's because I love them and I want a relationship with them. I want them to talk to me. And if I gave them something and then they turned away and never talked to me again, well, that would be counterproductive because the relationship is what I want. And the same is true with the Lord. In fact, it was Moses' big concern what would happen when the children of Israel finally got to the promised land. They wandered through the wilderness after they, we spent some time in Exodus the last couple of months and talked about how God freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt and brought them to Israel. After a 40-year journey, they finally got to the edge of the promised land. And Moses had a lot of warnings for them. One of them had to do with this daily bread issue. The entire time they'd been traveling in the wilderness, God provided food for them. Every morning when they woke up on the ground, or six days a week, on the Sabbath day, they have a day off. But six days a week, they would go out and gather little flakes from the ground. It was called manna. Sounds kind of like the Hebrew word for what is it? Because the first time they saw it, they said, what is it? And the name kind of stuck. But they would gather these little flakes, and then they could boil it or bake it or pound it into flour, make bread from it. And apparently it was perfectly balanced nutrition. And every day in the morning, they'd go out. When the dew was on the grass, these flakes would appear. And they could go gather it, and they would live on it every day. God didn't give it to them once a week in meals ready to eat boxes. He didn't have angels come down with 18 wheelers and back up and have a whole big... Uh, assembly line type of production there. It was just out around the camp and they had to go out every morning and gather it. And there's been a lot of speculation. Well, why did he do it that way? I mean, why didn't he give it to him a week's worth at a shot? Why make him go out every day? Well, Moses answers it for us right here. Deuteronomy 8, he said, you're about to go into the promised land. I want to warn you, the man is going to stop when you get in the promised land because you're going to have crops there and you're going to have flocks and herds. You're going to have fruit trees and all these things. You're going to build fine houses and you're going to have pantries full of food and you're going to have accumulate lots of gold and silver. And that's the time to be careful because if you're not careful, you'll begin to think you did all this without God's help. And he reminded them, this is Deuteronomy 8, he fed you with manna in the wilderness every morning, a food unknown to your ancestors. And he did this to humble you and to test you for your own good. He did all this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. For 40 years, every day, they were to go out and gather it, and it was on the ground, not on a shelf, not in a bag, so that over and over, every day, they would have to bow down in God's presence and go, God is faithful. God will provide. God is faithful. God will provide. And Moses says, the problem I have is you're going to go in this land flowing with milk and honey and it's going to be great and you're going to forget that God is faithful and he's the one who provided you with all this. You're going to begin to think, I did all this with my own strength and with my own brain. And you're going to forget completely that God's the one who gives you air in your lungs and without his will allowing it, you wouldn't draw another breath. And if he didn't give you the brain that you have, not a synopse would ever fire. And you're going to forget him. 
And now you know why the wisdom of Proverbs says, hey, when you pray for daily bread, don't pray for too much because that can lead us to become prideful. Don't pray for too little because then we might be forced to do something desperate. Just pray that God will give you your daily bread and we'll always remember that God is faithful. God will provide. Can you and I pray that way? Sure we can. Jesus prayed that way. And his disciples saw it. And they saw him pray for things, but he was never asking for too much. He was just saying, we'll talk to you again tomorrow, Lord. Thanks, Dad. And they said, teach us to pray that way. Well, the prayer goes on. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also as we also have forgiven our debtors. Short little line, probably the hardest line in the whole prayer. The life application is this. If we want God to forgive us, then we must forgive others. That's the way it works. John, I think you're oversimplifying this. I mean, does the Bible really say that? Yep, right after, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. The next verse, Matthew 6, 14. If you forgive those who sin against you, then your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus. Wow. Yeah. But you don't know what my next door neighbor did, but you don't know what my sister did. You don't know how badly my boss treated me. You have no, I mean, you cannot ask me to forgive somebody. You don't know. No, I don't, but the Lord does. You know what else the Lord knows? The Lord knows how many times he's forgiven me. The Lord knows exactly how many times he's forgiven you. And you stack up every careless word, every wicked thought, every evil action, every opportunity to do good that you and I passed up. Well, how tall would that pile of guilt be? I mean, I don't even know. And I'm not willing to forgive others who may have sinned against me and caused me a lot of pain, but comparatively, it's almost nothing. Jesus told a story about this once. This isn't a passing thought for Jesus. This is central to the whole idea of forgiveness. If he was going to die on the cross and say, Father, if there's any way possible, take this cup from me, yet there was no way, then he wasn't going to do this for nothing. He gave everything to set us free, and he said, I expect you to pass it on. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven can be compared, this is from Matthew 18, can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who borrowed some money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Well, he couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. Jesus is telling this story in the times when if you owed a debt, you could be sold into slavery for the value of your service, and the money be paid to the person you owed. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, oh, please be patient with me and I'll pay it all. And then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him, forgave his debt. But when that man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars, not millions, thousands. And he grabbed him by the throat and he demanded instant payment. Well, his fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it. Same exact statement, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested, put in prison, until the debt could be paid in full. Now, when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. And they went to the king and they told him everything that had happened. And then the king called in the man that he'd forgiven. And he said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? 
And then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he'd paid the entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your hearts. That's Jesus. There's a stern warning there. Lord, teach us to pray. All right. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lord, teach us to pray something else. And this is where the rubber meets the road. Are you and I willing to forgive? And finally, and this needs to be point E on your outline, for those of you who are picky about outlines, the E didn't print for some reason, so write that in and then life will be happy again. Anyway, write the E in right here before this next line. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one would be an accurate translation as well. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The life application out of that sta- of those sentences is this. We need God to rescue us from the devil and his deceptions, so we must pray for the wisdom to recognize Satan's temptations and the strength to stand against them. When you're praying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, you are praying for the wisdom to recognize the deceptions, the temptations, and the strength to stand against them. We are not alone in this world. There is a fallen angel by the name of Lucifer or Satan, the devil. And he loves to tempt us to do evil. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, wrote this. I mean, he was the same one um, who had connected with uh, Jesus, with Christians, and had warned them about the end of the world being near. He said this, Stay alert and watch out for your great enemy, the devil, for he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Well, John, what does it look like when he's trying to devour us? I mean, are you suggesting there are wild animals trying to eat us? No, the way the devil works is he comes like an angel of light. He's a deceiver. Jesus said he is a liar and the father of lies, and when he lies, he speaks his native language. And the devil's temptations come like little whispers. Hey, it's okay for you to be in that relationship with that married man. You love each other. It's okay as long as you love each other. Hey, you can cheat on that test. Go ahead. Other people do. Everybody cheats occasionally. You won't get caught. Go ahead. Hey, it's just a little white lie. Won't hurt anybody. And what he always does is he appeals to something good and then tells us a crooked way to get there or how to advance the timing ahead of God's schedule. And that's the way he specializes in tricking us. A half lie plus a half truth is still a lie. And he'd love to turn us inside out and get us into all kinds of trouble. The devil hates the Lord and he hates his children. And instead of peace and joy, he wants pain and sorrow to rule our days. He lied to Adam and Eve in the garden and told them that God surely hadn't told them not to eat of that fruit. It was so delicious. They wouldn't die. God just didn't want them to be like him. It was all a lie, but they fell for it. And you and I will fall for the lies of our day if we're not careful. We have to stay alert. Jesus elsewhere said in Matthew 26, watch and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. 
For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Boy, we can be resolute that it's time for us to diet and get things under control, and then we pass that hot donut light sign over Krispy Kreme, and it's all over. (laughs) The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I mean, that's just a silly example, but it proves exactly how weak we are. By the way, this is why we want you in small groups here. We call them connect groups. We tell people all the time, our connect groups will give you connection and protection and growth. Protection from what? Protection from the deceptions of the evil one. Because, see, I can start justifying all kinds of things in my life when I get tired or when I get frustrated or when I get worn out with life. And then all of a sudden, those temptations start making sense. But if I've got a Christian brother or a Christian sister whom I've built a relationship with, I can lay out some of the decisions in front of them and say, hey, I'm thinking about this. What do you think? And they go, what? Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. And all of a sudden, the deception is exposed. And now we're not going to do that anymore. And Satan knows that. And so the deception he would throw to all of us right now is, you don't need to be in a small group. You can be just as good a Christian all by yourself. It's a personal relationship, isn't it? Yes, it is. And we can help each other in those personal relationships. I'm telling you, he's good. And if we are not watching out, I didn't mean he's a good person. I meant he's good at what he does. Anyway, don't, don't send me emails on that, please, okay? He's good at tricking us. Now, I want to give you some encouragement on this one, too. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, he said, Look, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. That should encourage you. We all get tempted. If you think, I'm the only one facing temptations, you're wrong. I'm the only one who struggles with giving in to wicked thoughts or giving in to bad ideas. No, you're not. He's after all of us. But God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you're tempted, he'll show you a way out. And please underline that. He'll show you a way out so that you can endure. But here's where you and I can pray. When Jesus said, hey, pray this way, lead us not into temptation. Well, what that means is pray for the way out. Lord, show me the way out. Lord, protect me from the evil one. Give me wisdom to see through the deception. Give me the strength to stand for you and show me the way out so I can run. For yours is the kingdom and yours is the power. And I want you to be glorified in my life. Amen. Now you get the gist of the prayer. Is that the way you and I pray? Do not take this prayer to be a prayer that prayed over and over and over again, and now we get good luck. No, this is a model prayer, and we need to pray it with sincere hearts. And so I'd like to do that together with you right now. I'm going to ask our worship team if they'll come up here. I want to lead us in a time of prayer. So you can put your Bible or your notes, whatever you have down. I just want to lead us in a prayer time, and we're going to pray through the Lord's Prayer with glad and sincere hearts. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we thank you that you are personal, we thank you that you are loving, and we thank you that you know more about us than we know ourselves. We thank you for how good you've been to us, Lord, and that you love us, and you treat us much better than we deserve. In just a moment of silence, would you tell your heavenly Father something in your own words to this? I love you, Father, and thank you for loving me.
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lord, your name is above every other name. There is no one who compares with you. There is no problem too too difficult for you to solve. There is no obstacle that you cannot overcome. There is no limit to your love or your understanding. Hallowed be your name. In just a moment of silence, again, just pray silently to the Lord. He'll hear you. Tell him that he is, he is great and greatly to be praised and acknowledge how wonderful he is. Oh, Father, we come before you as your children. We praise your heavenly name. And, oh, God, we ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done right here in our culture. Oh, God, we pray for a spiritual awakening. We pray that hearts would be turned to you, that minds would be opened to your truth. We pray, oh, God, there would be a spiritual revival. God, we pray for our president for our congressmen and senators. We pray for our governor and our state leaders, the mayor and city council, the city in which we live. And, oh, God, we pray that you would guide them, that they would make just laws, the judges would issue fair and right decisions so we might have peace and tranquility. And that would afford us the opportunity to tell people about you. Oh God, may your kingdom come and may your will be done in my life. I freely and willingly give you access to my entire life. I want your will to be done, not mine. And God, I surrender the decisions I need to make. I surrender my fears. I surrender my guilt and my shame. I surrender my possessions. I surrender everything I have to you. I want you to reign and rule in my heart. May my home be an embassy for heaven. And may I be your ambassador at my job and with my kids, with my parents, with my classmates. Oh, Father, I pray that you will give us our daily bread. Father, that you would not give us too much because then we'll become prideful and we'll take all the glory for ourselves and say that we made all this wealth and all this money by our clever thinking, our wonderful business plans, or with our own strength and determination. And the truth is, Lord, we couldn't do anything if you didn't give us another day's worth of life. But, Lord... We don't want to go hungry or go needy because then we might be forced to beg or be forced to steal and do things that would dishonor you. So Lord, give us our daily bread. And help us and remind us to never say to ourselves that we've done any of this on our own. Thank you for our houses. Thank you for our cars. Thank you for our clothes. Thank you for the food in our stomachs and the clothes on our back. Oh, Lord, we're grateful. And forgive us for the times we have not been. Oh, Father, and speaking of forgiveness, we pray that you would forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
And so, Lord, you're going to have to give us love that we don't have. Lord, help us to see people through your eyes and help us have compassion for others, just like you've had compassion for us. But Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and to take our sins away. Thank you for how he loved us, even though we didn't deserve it. And Lord, give us that kind of love for others who don't deserve our compassion either. Help us to forgive. Oh God, we pray that your love will overflow in our hearts and will extend forgiveness to others who are badly in need of a touch of grace. And finally, Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, he is so crafty and so deceptive. He makes right seem wrong. He makes wrong seem right. And Lord, if we're tired or if we're frustrated, Lord, then all kinds of ideas can enter our hearts and our heads. And we can live sinful and shameful lives that bring pain and ruin. And God, we ask that you would protect us from these things. Give us good counsel. Give us good friends. Give us a hunger for your word so we know the truth. Give us wisdom so we can spot deception before it takes hold. And then give us the strength to stand against the temptation. Show us the way out, Lord, so we can run. Yours is the kingdom we seek, not ours. You're the one with power, and you're the one who gives us strength for every day. And Lord, we want to live our lives for your glory, not our own. Oh, Lord, teach us to pray like Jesus prayed. We thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers. We pray these things, and we know you hear them because Jesus told us to pray this way. In the name of Christ, together we say, Amen.